it's great to be with you. I uh, We missed it last week. We were at a family engagement, but I just love meeting together again. And it's such a, a privilege. Um, we were saying as we left the house this morning, me and Temi, what a privilege it is that we're actually meeting in these times with lots of churches still on, um, on Zoom and online, which has served a purpose. But yeah, it's great, great to be in the same room as people. Um, so thrilled about that. I want to start by asking you a question. And the question I want to ask you is, who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? He's been of discussion for many, many years. Many claims about who he is have, have been made. Is he a, a myth? Is he just a, a man who existed, a mere mortal, and all of this mentioned about him is sort of fairy tales made up? Or is he a healer, a holy man who God used to um, do mighty things, but ultimately that was that was the limit of him. He was just a, a, a man of God who followed him. Or is he, as the passage answers emphatically today that we're going to look at, is he the son of God? Is he one part of the triune, triune God um, who has all authority, all authority, not just to heal, as we see he does magnificently today, but also all authority to forgive sins. And this passage today that we're going to look at is very clear on that. Um, It's a very interesting story to look at. But before we read that, and that's from Matthew 9, verses 1 to 8, if you want to find it in your Bibles. If not, it will come up on the screen. Um, I'm just going to pray, and then we'll dive straight in. Father God, I pray that you would come and meet with us in this time. pray that you would take my weak words and my weak attempts of what I can do to bring your truth to all of us in this room today. I pray that you and your Holy Spirit would empower it and would make it something that is useful and encouraging and provoking for all of us here today. In your mighty name I pray, Jesus. Amen. I'm going to start reading from verse 1, chapter 9. Getting into a boat, Jesus crossed over the sea and came to his own city, and they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralytic, Take courage, son, your sins are forgiven. And some of the scribes said to themselves, This fellow blasphemes. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why are you thinking evil in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, get up, pick up your bed and go home. And he got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were awestruck and glorified God, who had given such authority to men. Matthew's account of this story is really interesting because unlike other accounts in some of the other Gospels, he zones in on the dialogue between Jesus, um, the paralytic man, and the scribes. Some other accounts focus more on the efforts, um, the great steps that the friends took to actually get the paralytic there. And we're going to briefly mention that in the final point today. But there's something in in this dialogue, but on the face of it, it all seems a bit strange to me. Because they've brought a paralytic man to Jesus, presumably because they expect him to be healed. Which we of course see happens. 
But the first thing that Jesus says to them is, aside from take courage, your sins are forgiven. It's almost a bit like going to the dentist because you've got a broken tooth and the dentist starts talking to you about how you need to lose weight. It just doesn't seem to make sense. You're addressing an issue I haven't come to you for. But we know that Jesus doesn't waste words. So we know that there's something really rich in this dialogue. And there's a reason why he's zoning in on this point. And the first point I want to talk about is Jesus' identity. The reason that Jesus zones in on your sins are forgiven, and we see the scribes absolutely dumbfounded. This is shameful. How can a man make a claim to be the son of God? Only God has the power to forgive sins. This is absolutely scandalous. The reason that Jesus starts with this is exactly for that reason. That he wants to lay down exactly who he is. He wants to lay down to everyone present and to the countless people that would have been told this story that he has not only the power to forgive sins and the authority to, sorry, the authority to heal this man, he has all authority to forgive sins as being fully part of the triune God. And we see that the people there, there would have been much debate. One of those moments, I love so many stories, I'd love to have been in the room to have seen what discussions were going on. Who did people think Jesus was? Did they think he was just a, a magic man, a healer? We see, as has been shared in previous weeks by Duncan and Dio, we see that Jesus had done some astounding miracles. He had a track record of healing people. But was that where it ended for people? Was that where he was just a, almost like an end result? I can bring my problem and Jesus will solve it. And then I can go off and live the rest of my life. And we see actually in, in Matthew 16, we see Jesus asks his disciples about this. He says, who, who do people say that I am? And they give some answers. They say, some people say you're, you're maybe John the Baptist, sort of reincarnated. Some people say that you're a prophet like Elijah that's been brought back because they also did wonderful miracles. But then Peter, Peter of all people, stumbles upon, I think more by divine inspiration, as it says in the passage in Matthew 16, than his own sort of personal knowledge or wisdom, stumbles upon it and says, no, you're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. And this is exactly what Jesus is doing through this dialogue. He's drawing people in to his real identity. He's not just someone that is has all authority to forgive, uh, to heal, sorry, heal us from our our sickness and our disease or to do these wonderful miracles he's also here to and has all authority to forgive us of our sins and this is truly astounding as you see from the scribes who know the law inside out are shocked are shocked by this claim but then we see that the as we go on in the story we see that the miracle if you like authenticates Jesus's claim that is the sign of me saying that I have the, the power and the authority as I am God to forgive sins. It's easier for me to say, get up. That's the sign. That's the authentication to this wonderful claim that Jesus is God. He is the Messiah who has the authority to forgive sins. 
And we see this as well. There's a, they're not going to come up on the screen, but there's a couple of other scriptures um, which I just want to briefly read to you. Uh, the first is Ephesians 2, verse 18. And this is, talk, this is all feeding into this of who Jesus is and, and what his role is. So Ephesians 2, verse 18. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. The spirit and the Father is mentioned and Jesus is a, an integral part of that. We also see in John, John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus doesn't didn't want these people here. He doesn't want us today to approach him as someone who can do something for us. Someone that we can come like a magician or a healer where we just bring ourselves before him because of this. He wants us to come with the reverence. He wants us to come with the obedience to one that can forgive all of our sins and has the authority to do so. And I want to ask you today, how do you view or approach Jesus? Do you come to him as someone who, as I said, can do things for you? Who can help you in your life? Allow you to see areas of breakthrough? And it's not that those things are wrong. Scripture is very clear. God wants us to bring these things to him as well. So that's, that's great. But if that's the only reason we're coming to him because of what he can do for us, then we see in this story that we've missed the point. We've missed out a key vital aspect of Jesus' identity, that he is the Messiah worthy of praise and worthy of our worship for who he is, not just what he can do for us. And I was reading uh, in my commentary that I've been reading um, by D.A. Carson, an author, he encapsulates in the narrative of, of King Saul and David, um, this really well, how Saul does come to Jesus. Um, he describes it, I'm going to read this quote, it will come up on the screen. He describes it as like the, in the story of Aladdin, a genie's lamp, where Saul's happy to come to, to God um, as long as he can get what he wants. He can rub the lamp and he can get a response that's favourable to him. And the contrast is with King David, who, although far from perfect as we see in Scripture, modelled a much better um, much better relationship with God in terms of how he came before God and honoured him and revered him for who he was. Um, and even when he didn't get the outcome that he liked, which was the problem with King Saul, that when he didn't get the outcome he wanted, he then went and consulted with mediums and spirits and turned away from God. We see that King David, on lots of occasions, honoured God even when he didn't like the outcome. So I'm just going to read this quote to you. It should come up. The heart of Saul's sin is what Brilliant. Thank you, Gareth. The heart of Saul's sin is what it had been it has been for a long time. He wants a domesticated God, a God like the genie in Aladdin's lamp, one pledged to do wonderful things for him as long as he holds the lamp but does not perceive that the real God is to be worshipped, reverenced, obeyed, 
feared and loved unconditionally. This is what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to come to revere him, to worship him unconditionally because he is the son of God. He has all authority, just like the Father and the Spirit. So I want to challenge us today. Is that how we are coming to him? And one of the practical ways I found really helpful in in preparing for this to challenge myself on is what does my prayer life look like? Is my prayer life a list, a shopping list, as it's often called in sort of Christian circles? Am I just rolling off things about my needs, the needs of my friends? And as I said, to reiterate, that's not, not bad. God wants us to bring these things. And sometimes we're in a place where that's all we can do. That's all we have the capacity to do. It's not to critique that. But if that's all we're ever doing, or as one of my friends says, the only time I pray is when I'm in trouble. I've done something wrong and I need divine intervention. If that's what our prayer life looks like, then I would suggest that we need to spend more time meditating on who Jesus is, on who God is, and why they're worthy of worship. Because they have all authority to forgive sins, all authority on earth and in the heavens. And that alone is is the reason that he is worthy of our worship. Coming on to the second point, the greatest need. I don't think it's a coincidence in this in this story either that sin is mentioned first. And I was delighted when Jeff prayed out. Um, it was almost as if he'd seen my notes for today. Um, but I think Jesus is setting down a real biblical marker here. Here's a paralytic man, clearly in dire need. Clearly in dire need. No one would contest that. Comes to Jesus, as we said, quite clearly for healing. He wants wants to be healed. And we praise the Lord. We see that he is wonderfully. What an astonishing miracle. But we see that the first thing that Jesus addresses is his sins. He says, your sins are forgiven. And the reason is that, as, as Jeff prayed earlier on out to us, the consequence of our sins in this life far surpasses, far surpasses any of our material or human needs. And there's a couple of scriptures that, that bring this really bring this to light, I think. Romans verse uh, chapter six, verse 23, "The wages of sin." is death. The wages of sin is death. Isaiah 59 verse 2 Your iniquities have made a separation between you and God. As dire as our personal needs can be at times and I know that myself there are things that me and my wife and there will be many of us in here today or at home are praying for for breakthrough for in, in those areas. They will never never reach the level of where our sin put us. Of the perilous position that our disobedience to God, and that's all sin is, our disobedience to him, our desire to do things our way instead of following his way, 
we see we see from reading these scriptures just the perilous position and i think this is why jesus this is why jesus addresses this first because not just because he has the authority to forgive sins which as we've seen from the first point is is a key part of this it's also get your house in order this is your greatest need but praise god praise god that it doesn't end with the wages of sin are death and we're separated from God for all eternity. Scripture goes on, and as we see in the story, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Through the wonderful story of the cross. The wonderful story of the cross. Don't, don't look at this story and leave thinking that the miracle is that a paralytic man is healed. Because I think if that's all we see, we've missed it. The miracle here is that Jesus says to him, your sins are forgiven. As a response of their faith, we'll look at that in the last point, but because of their faith, your sins are forgiven. Wow. And he does that through the cross. Came with one mission. He always knew why he was here on earth. Because he was destined, destined to live a perfect life and then go to the cross to take on, as we read, the wages of sin are death. He took on our death. He took on our punishment. He took on our shame. Perhaps you don't relate to, I've, I've wronged God. But I think we've all felt shame at times. We've all felt sh- ashamed of things that we've done. Jesus went to the cross and took our punishment that we deserved for our sins. And then as Duncan wonderfully said, he didn't stay there. Three days later, he rose again, defeated death. So that by by that very practical means, he can say, your sins are forgiven. Because he not only made the way, but he has all authority. And I think it's truly astounding, truly astounding that he chose to use his authority in this way that he chose to look on you and me as being worthy, not because of what we've done or anything we've contributed, but because of the love he has for us. I'm amazed. And it took me back to when I first came to Christ. I was a little boy, about five or six at a Christian camp, and I held my hands out and closed my eyes, and some worship music was playing, and one of the guys led us, and it just hit me. It hit me, my sins. Up to that point, I'd probably been fairly oblivious. But it just hit me, the weight, the weight of how I'd been so disobedient to God in so many ways. Hit me the weight of my shame. I was ashamed of some of the things that I'd done. And tears, tears flowed down my face. Not sad tears, but happy tears. Because I could not believe that He went to the cross and took that for me so that if I confess my faith in him, believe that he died for me, I might be restored into relationship with him. Not only spared the eternal punishment, but I might be restored into living with him. And that just actually was soothing for me to meditate on. So easy if you've been a Christian here for years to sometimes kind of forget those things. But what a humbling moment it was for me to go back to picture myself like that, a little bit smaller, a little bit thinner, and to think, wow, 
wow, nothing's changed. Nothing's changed since that moment. The only thing is I let life get busy. I, like, I let life get in the way. And I need to draw myself back to focusing on that moment. And I think that's why it's helpful that Jesus not only shows he has the authority to forgive sins, so that he shows that that's his intention. That's what he's done. And also that that's where our primary, primary and greatest need is. So I want to challenge us. How often do we pause and reflect on God's amazing grace? As I said before, how often do we rush in and pray for our needs? And I'm so guilty of this. How often do we stop and pause on moments like that in our life? On scripture that talks about this. Do we follow the Lord's prayer? Do we confess our sins daily? Perhaps today will be your first time. Perhaps you you haven't up to this stage known or proclaimed Jesus to be your saviour. You haven't known him to be. But today you want to put your faith in him. And maybe you're having one of those moments where you're just realising the weight of your sin, the weight of your shame, but that Jesus took that from you. Maybe you want to confess your sins for the first time. I encourage you to do that. If we're Christians here, I encourage us to come and do it again, to make it a habit in our lives where we're doing it daily. We're following in that model of the Lord's Prayer. But not so that we're beating and flogging ourselves every day, but that we're remembering, remembering the grace of God. And then also seeking to grow in it, seeking to not be held down by the same sins. Asking God in his strength to free us from those. Because this story is clear. He has all authority, not only to forgive, but to heal us from our sins and those that grip us. And I think this is so important in our culture. Our culture is, how can we get as much money? How can we get a nicer house? How can we get a promotion quicker quicker at work? None of these things in themselves... um, questionably how can we get more money uh, is but in terms of chasing these things but it, it shows where our heart is we need to spend more time reflecting on God's grace than our own material needs and what we can get for ourselves and on to the final point I just want to briefly reflect on reflect on on active faith as I said it's not not mentioned massively in this story um, it is mentioned in Uh, verse 2 I think it is yeah where Jesus says seeing their faith Um, but I think there's just such a such a helpful point in here for us all as we've established it's nothing to do with our works it's nothing to do with anything we can do to save ourselves but it is clear that Jesus and God loves when we display our faith He loves when our faith is not only in our head and in our hearts, but it's displayed actively. You've got the scribes in this story who are sort of sneering and cynical, questioning who Jesus is, largely caught up in how that affects their role and their authority over people. They've got the knowledge in their heads, but they don't have it in their hearts. They're not active with their faith. They haven't allowed it to change them and to move in them. But then we've got the contrast of these friends. And if you read, and I encourage you to do, 
this story in other Gospels. You hear about the amazing effort that these friends went to. They not only went to a physical effort of taking him there, then digging a hole through the roof and lowering him down, not advocating going through anyone's roof for the sake of faith, obviously in Ferrum, um, but amazing physical effort. But also I was thinking, what about the, what about the societal? What about sort of rudeness? It's, it's pretty rude, isn't it? Just, you know, get in the queue. We're, we're British. British people love queuing. Get in the queue and wait your turn. I can imagine myself, arms folded, sat there like, oh, this is outrageous. Well, no. They're prepared because of their faith and belief in the authority of Jesus to, to heal this, this friend of theirs. They're prepared to, to break these social norms. They're prepared to go to all of this effort. And the reaction of Jesus, I think, says it all. He doesn't, doesn't say, go and get back in queue. I'll, I'll see to you later on commends them for their faith and not only rewards them with physical healing which we see which is amazing enough he gives also forgiveness of sins which is astonishing and we see a we see a long a long history of this um hebrews 11 often called the hall of faith um a wonderful chapter which just sort of gives a scroll call of men and women in the bible who've just done heroic, wonderful things for God. Not because they're particularly any different to you and I. They were just wonderfully obedient and listened to him and honoured him and followed his commands no matter what the personal cost. And just to pick out a few um, characters, a few of my personal favourites um, from this list, you've got Enoch. Enoch, who not many people know much about, but it just says that he pleased God so much that God took him. He didn't die, just disappeared. God loved his faith and loved how he followed him so much that he took him up. Got Noah. Noah who heard from God that a flood was going to come. I think it's one of the terrible films like Evan Almighty I've seen or something where it just brings sort of in the mind it to light of him just being ridiculed. I mean, building this humongous ark. Um, you can just imagine people like this guy's lost the plot. He's just, he's gone. He needs help. Yet, at his own personal cost, he followed God faithfully and he's commended for it. And there's other characters. There's Abraham, Sarah, Moses. Just wonderful stories of these people being commended for how they've listened to God and they've been active with their faith. And I find this such a challenge, such a challenge personally of, am I being active with my faith? My salvation is secure. Jesus, because of what he's done on the cross, has paid for my sins. But God doesn't want us to live a stagnant life of where we settle for that. He wants us to press on. He wants us to put our faith in, into action in our households, in our workplaces, in our town. I want Christchurch Ferrum to be known for our acts of faith in Ferrum. And not so that we can boast in what a great church we are, but for his glory so that people can see that there's something happening in this church. I was reading about the, the church in China this morning, one of my books, and you know, just the staggering, staggering active faith of some missionaries that gave away all their food and all their clothing to some terribly poor um, 
people in China. And this woman ran after the missionaries and said, what, what is wrong with you? I want to know why on earth you would do that at such great personal cost. And she just turned around and shared, shared about Jesus and how he changed their life. And this woman and this community gave their lives to Jesus. That's what I want us to be like. That's what I want us to aspire to be like. For his glory in this town. And think about that. What, what does that look like for you today? Perhaps that's, as I said, for you, for the first time, putting your faith in Jesus. Perhaps that's your active step. Saying today, I'm going to trust in Jesus and all that he's done for me on the cross and in his resurrection. I'm going to confess my sins and I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn, turn towards him. If you're a Christian here today, perhaps that's praying for and being a bit more active in your workplace. I know for myself, that's been the big, the big area God's been putting on my heart ever since Duncan preached about three months ago and really challenged us as a church with evangelism. I really felt something stirred in me. And um, so every opportunity now I've been praying. And sometimes it's hard. As, uh, I've been playing golf with a, a couple of mates. And um, they're sort of your, your typical sporty lads. And I, I prayed before this and I said, God, please give me a word. So God delivered, praise God. The word was to tell my 30-odd-year-old butch mate, do you know God loves you? As you can imagine, I was filled with joy. <laughs> thinking, how am I going to squirm this in? And I don't boast in myself because there's been many times when I've taken the coward's path out and I've not done it. But on this occasion, I did. I did, I stepped out. But it was a real challenge for me because it was risk of personal fate, I suppose, loss of face and coming across as just a bit weird. <laughs> But let's be bold. Let's be active with our faith, like these friends that just wouldn't let anything stop them from getting to Jesus and allowing them to change his life. And that might be an act of faith, like I said, like evangelism, or it might just be persevering with that healing. I've got people in my family, we've been praying for healing for many years and it hasn't happened yet. I don't want to stop. I can trust in God's sovereignty that he knows what he's doing because he has all authority. We've seen that over the last few weeks, but we see that today. He has all authority. So yes, he could heal if he wanted in a minute, but I trust in his authority. I trust in his plan that he knows best, but I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep praying for those miracles to happen and to keep stepping out and praying for those things because God loves, he loves when we step out, just like we see in this story. He loves when we step out for he's in faith in what he can do. So just as I close, I want to just ask you again, as I started, so who do you say Jesus is? Because the Bible was very clear. The story is very clear. Jesus is the Son of God. One part of the Triune God, the God, Father, sorry, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, as we saw from those scriptures that we read can only come to them through Jesus. That's who he is. He has all authority to bring healings, but also to forgive sins, to remove our greatest need if we would humble ourselves and come to him. So let's be people that worship him primarily for who he is, not what he can do for us. He does wonders, and we've all got personal testimonies, which I love to hear, love to share. 
and they're great. It's not to knock those, but let's worship him primarily for who he is. He's the Messiah. He's worthy of our praise. Let's follow in David's example. Let's revere him, to be obedient, to be faithful to who he is. Whilst also not forgetting Proverbs 15, God loves to hear our prayers. He loves to hear, he delights when we come and we bring our prayers to him. But our worship should always primarily be focused on who he is rather than what he's done for us. I'm going to pray for us to close and then lead us in communion. Father God, thank you so much for what you have done for us. Thank you that you used your authority to forgive our sins. Us that were undeserving, completely in a perilous position, you brought you used your authority to bring the forgiveness of sins. And I thank you, Lord. I thank you for that. I praise you. Because that is the astonishing miracle. That is the astonishing miracle that will stand the test of time. Although we love to and we pray that you would encourage us to keep actively seeking and praying for the miracles of healing and other things that we want to see breakthrough in our lives. I just pray that you would come and meet with us today. And as we leave, let this, let this sink into our hearts. Let this be a real change where we, we have a change in how we worship you and how we approach you. Let it not be like the genie's lamp in Aladdin. Let us come and revere you for who you are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.